Hey, thanks so much for being here. This is My City Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you are inspired to love God, love people, and lead in life. Enjoy the message. God. We're going to continue our Christmas sermon series uh, based off of the Luke 15 story of the prodigal son. And it's not typically a Christmas message, but I think it is in regards to knowing why Jesus came to us. We would know that it was to reunite us with him. And so that's what we see. And last week we talked a little bit about the, the two sons, it was a tale of two sons. How many of y'all enjoyed last week's message, huh? Come on, I'm glad it blessed you. And uh, it was a tale of two sons. And we talked uh, uh, extensively about the younger son and then a little bit about the older son. And I felt today we need to primarily hit on the older son. And really what I'm doing is, this isn't even just a necessarily a message for us in this room. I believe that this room can actually influence our entire city. And instead of just taking this message to the city, uh, I think first it has to be taken to our hearts. And what I want to be able to see is us uh, embody what really is the true gospel message and God coming to us and our dependency and our reliance on him so that we can in turn not just hide it and hold it and keep it, but so that we can go out in an entire world, an entire city that needs to know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the basis of this message, and it's my hope that it doesn't stay here, but it actually moves beyond the four walls of this building and impacts our families, our communities, our workplaces, and everything in between. So as we look to the Word of God this morning, how many have your Bibles? Let me see it. Lift it up in the air. Come on. I got this. I got a My City Bible, and this book contains hope. Open up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, if you took notes last week, you're probably already there because uh, I said mark your Bible for the next three weeks. We're going to be talking about Luke chapter 15. I'm excited to be able to share the word with you today. I pray that it's going to bless you and uh, that you'll walk out of here encouraged, full of strength, uh, knowing who God is and, and how, he, how he is best able to help us in our lives. And so we're Luke chapter 15, verse 25. It's kind of halfway through the story. Uh, we primarily hear it about the story of the prodigal son. Uh, but what I highlighted last week was that there's actually two sons. And uh, Jesus was in the process of talking about lost things, yes. Um, but he was talking to Pharisees about these lost things, uh, whether it be the lost coin or the lost sheep. So the highlight of the prodigal son isn't necessarily the son that left, but it may very well be the son that stayed. And that what we need to keep in mind is that at the root of it all, both sons were actually lost. And so here Jesus is talking to a son that feels like he is close in proximity, but far in heart. So we're going to be starting off Luke 15, verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. They were throwing a party because the younger son came. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Verse 27, Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Don't we have a great God? I, I, I just, I cannot help the fact that God is so much better than we are. I, my natural tendency to be like, all right, you're lost, right? Like, but God's like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to plead 
He pleads with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I'm excited to be able to share with this word with you today on this topic of the older brother. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This is the title, The Trap of an Older Brother. We all got to be aware of this. It's a trap. It's a trap. Star Wars fans. Trap. All right. It's a trap of an older brother. Let's pray today. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's true. And it's, it's, it's good to be able to rebuke, encourage, and strengthen us. God, if you could speak to us today. God, open our ears today to hear you. God, open our eyes to see you. God, we don't want to come into this church and we don't want to leave the same. God, I pray that we would leave forever changed in your word and in your truth. God, we thank you for your spirit that is with us today. And right now, church, if you're hungry for the word of God, would you open up your hands today and say these words after me? Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Come on, would you put your hands together for the word of God this morning? So really what this whole three weeks is about is equipping our church to be able to reach this city. There's a, there's a level of, of evangelism within our church that we will always embody, and it's a heart for our city. And in order, though, to have that heart for the lost people, we got to understand the heart of the Father towards us. It's a revelation that happens in response that when I realize how much God loves me and no matter how far I ran away from God and that he still chooses to reunite us with him, I realize now that every single person, God loves them just as much as he loves me. So it's when we encounter the love and the grace of God that the natural response is to actually go out and preach the gospel, to be able to share that love with other people. Now I've been talking about Two brothers, the younger brother and the older brother. The younger brother ran away, and the older brother is, is still with, with the father. And I feel like I need to lay the foundation that whatever side you fall under or feel like that you're primarily under, know that no matter where you are, you're still a part of God's family. That even though the son left, he was still the son. And even though the son was close but far in heart, he was still a son in God's eyes and no matter how far you've gone or how far or how close that you think you are, we're all part of God's family. And at any point, though, in our lives, we can either be the younger brother or the older brother. It's not usually, well, this person is always a younger brother and this person is always an older brother. Know that it is within our hearts that depending on our seasons, stages of life, we all have the possibility to become either brother one that runs away from the things of God or one that just fulfills religious duty with our hearts being far from God. And what I found is that it's our tendency to swing to the extreme of either side. We, it's like this pendulum and we either have to be completely away from God or we have to be completely obedient to God and there's no room for people in the middle. We just kind of like, we like extremes. And I think that's more of like a, a theological conversation that we need to be able to have within this church eventually that there are these extremes that we like it because it creates 
a level of predictability. And I don't think it's quite like that. I think there's so many different types of people that we got to be able to have room for people's journeys. We got to be able to have room for people's seasons. And so as we talk about the older brother, we know that the older brother, understand this today, that it is a trap that we are all susceptible to. It is a possibility for us all to carry this, what I like to call an older brother syndrome. Now, there is no older brother in Christ. We're actually all brothers and sisters. Jesus was using this to share a story. And I want to be able to share with you today, though, like how how does one become an older brother? How does one develop an older brother syndrome? And unlike a traditional order of birth where you have one that's born earlier and one that's born later, one does not usually start as an older brother, but rather develops into an older brother. And that's important for us to know because at any point, we have a tendency to become a quote-unquote older brother. See, an older brother always looks to his own effort to get what he really wants. We pick up in verse 29. It says, so he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Now, it would benefit the older brother or those who carry this mindset to know that it's not for the grace of God that I'm working, but it's actually from the grace of God, that he knows that no matter what, he's still unworthy to get everything that the Father has, but the Father gives it freely, that Jesus not only came for the unrighteous, the Bible says that he did not come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Now, does that mean that the righteous don't need saving? I don't think that's the case because we know in Romans 3, it talks about how there's no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God and have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Let's go back up to Luke chapter 5.32. If you could throw that back on the screen, 5.32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Jesus says. So what is it? Is it that the righteous don't need saving or is the righteous don't think they need saving? And that's what we're talking about today. He calls the unrighteous because if you think you are righteous without Jesus, you will have difficulty knowing you even need Jesus. What does this mean? That means that we all need Jesus at every point in our lives. Not at the beginning, not at the end, but at every point in our lives. Not just the times when we're far from him, but also the times when we feel we are close to him. And that's what I want to talk about today. Those times when we feel we are close to God. Those times when we feel like we're close enough to God that we actually don't even need God because we got this. And this is a trap. See, the runaway child can know when they're far from God because you can see it. But self-righteous people, the older brother syndrome, does not. And that is why it's a trap. Because you do not know how far you may really be from God. Because the older brother identifies their relationship with God by how much they have done for God and not their alignment with God. I've been guilty of this, that I've been thinking, man, I've been praying a lot. I've been reading my Bible a lot. Man, I've been going to church. God must be proud of me. And now I find my identity in what I do for God rather than who I am in Christ. So it causes a righteousness based off of our tradition rather than a righteousness based off of transformation. Say tradition. Tradition. 
I'm looking for 100% participation in here. Say tradition. Tradition. We have a life based off of tradition. What an older brother does is they base their relationship with God off of tradition. Now write this down today. That righteousness based off tradition creates entitlement. Righteousness based off tradition. Now when I'm talking about tradition, I'm not talking about like your Christmas tradition. You always, I'm going to go to Christmas Eve service. That's a tradition or a tradition our family has. No, that's not the tradition that I'm talking about. The tradition that I'm talking about is you relegate your relationship to a status or a, a behavior rather than a heart. Well, I love my wife. I come home every night. Well, that's the minimum, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You can be near your wife. How many know that are married in here that you can be in the same house and not actually be, quote unquote, in love with one another? And you can feel like, man, we're just cohabitating. We're just, we're just, what do you call it when you, when you cohabitate in an apartment or a house together, even though you're mittering? What do you call it? you roommates. There you go. Thank you. I was like, roommates, roommates. He, uh, uh, and Kelly's probably like, you heard everyone else, but I was saying it from the beginning. And that isn't that how it usually is? <laughs> All right, so righteousness based off tradition creates entitlement, okay? But righteousness based off of transformation creates empowerment, okay? Because we aren't transformed for grace. We're transformed by grace, and you have to know this in your entire life, in your entire walk with God, no matter how much you think you are doing for God, if it were not for the grace of God, all of it is worthless, right? Because his grace is what gives you empowerment, not your works, not if you pray enough, not if you do good enough things, then God will actually listen to your prayers, but it's that you're a child of God, that's the fact that he listens to your prayers. Okay, now this tradition, it says, that this life based off tradition, this righteousness based off tradition, if I do enough good things, I will get the outcome I desire. If I go to church enough, and, and we'll get this, if I pray enough. Now, I understand the power of fervent, continuous prayer. I'm not undermining that. But if you're going to God and saying, well, God, I just need to fast enough and pray enough, then I'm going to get the result. So now I'm depending on God to listen to me just because I'm showing myself as being more devoted, right? Now I'm not undermining the fact that we need to keep praying. Yeah, if your child has ran away from home and is away from home, yeah, keep praying. I'm not saying don't stop praying, but I'm saying do you trust God? Because then you'll build, develop and you'll have a, a, a reckoning with your theology. It's like, God, I don't know. I fasted and I prayed and I still didn't see the result that I wanted. And you'll have a crisis of faith. Because it was based on what you could do for God and not the fact that no matter what happens, God, I'm going to continue to trust you. There's nothing wrong with going to God and asking him to, for inter to intervene on your behalf. What's wrong is when you base your identity on of God if he intervenes or if he doesn't. That's the problem. We want to keep praying. We want to keep fasting. But we're not stretching the arm of God to try to make him do what we want. Now, we want to keep knocking. We want to keep sowing, but we want to go to him, know that he is a good father that rewards those, not just trying to get what we want from God, right? It's just a different approach. So tradition says, if I do enough good things, I'll get the outcome I desire. So now I'm just going to start, I'm going to start going to church all the time because I want to be able to get God to do what I want. Now you're going to get good results by going to church. Don't get me wrong. Like that's setting the basis a discipline, right? But if God doesn't show up, will you stop going to church? Well, I tried that church thing. 
I went to therapy once. Well, keep going. I tried church once. No, 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 no. Like, it's about planting and remaining planted. Not to plant, well, I got a little bit of life, so now I'm going to grab the pot and I'm going to move over here and, and see if I, I'm going to move here in the dark cellar and see if I get life in there. Or I'm going to move over here and, and it's a potted plant that you keep. No, it's like those that are planted in the house will flourish. That doesn't mean it's a one-time occurrence, right? Like I ask Jesus into my heart. I give my life over to him daily. Daily I pick up my cross and follow him. It's not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. So otherwise then it's like, man, I made that choice and it didn't work. I started following God. Now sometimes God will break that depression off you in a moment. And sometimes he works through this word called process. It's called process. I stick to it because I know that God is working and he will continue to work in my life. I need to stay committed and devoted to the process. So tradition says, if I do enough good things, I will get the outcome I desire. Transformation says, I do good in response to God's grace, not for his grace. See, I know I have flaws too, and instead of covering them up as if I'm perfect, when I know I'm not, I am better off boasting in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You want to talk about empowerment? What if empowerment wasn't on your perfection, but what if it was on your weakness? That's what empowerment is. It's understanding that I am in alignment with the grace of God, and even on my worst days, he can still use me. See, tradition is a trap because it gives the illusion of control, but often ends up in disappointment. Do we find ourselves living a life of tradition, just trying to control our outcome? If I do enough good things, then some, if I keep going to church and I keep praying, I keep reading my Bible, God's going to send me a spouse. Anyone been there before? But what I found is the moment that I gave my life fully over to God and I actually trusted him, that's when Kelly came walking in. It's, that's just how it was. I gave it, I was like, God, I give it to you. And you can say that with your mouth, but never mean it in your heart. And only you really know when it's in your heart. Saying, God, I give it and I trust you. Right? I trust you because I know you are a good God. Now, there's nothing wrong with telling God what you want. God, I want her. And I kept asking. But at some point, I had to trust him. Even when she said, I don't want to talk to you. I had to keep trusting him. Right? What I'm saying is that I'm not basing my relationship with God on what he can do for me, right? Right? Are you following me here today? Let me hear you this morning. Come on. Come on. All right. So how do we know if I live a life based off tradition? How do I know if I'm not living by tradition or transformation? Okay, you're living by tradition if you find yourself saying, I serve God. I come to church. I'm involved in church. Um, and we're trying to have a kid because we're married and we're trying to have a kid and we just can't. It's been several years. And then here this other person is. They had a child out of wedlock. They weren't even trying. And Do you ever find yourself saying that? That's a life lived off of tradition. What is a life built off tradition? I've served God my whole life. I'm working this job with all everything I have, all my hands to find to do. I do it with all the glory of God. And here my coworker is. He's talking about, yeah, man, we were getting wasted last night. We were getting, we were down like in the dumps, man. It was crazy. And then here this guy's, and he gets promoted and he gets the Mercedes. Well, God, where's my Mercedes? I've been serving you, God. That's a life based off tradition. 
Now, if you drive a Mercedes, nothing against you, but the reason why they call it a Mercedes is because the people that drive them are usually saying, mercy, these payments are killing me. How do you know if you're living a life based off tradition? You say, I've been good, God, and then a doctor gives you a diagnosis of the disease, and you ask God, but I've been good. That's a life based off tradition. And if you're listening today, this message can change your life. This isn't a message that you hear once and then leave at the altar. This is a message that can affect your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, your Friday, Saturday, and even into Sunday. This is a message that we need to live and plant ourselves in, not something that goes in one ear, wow, that was a good thought, and it goes out of the other. Because if you're serving God for what he can give you, eventually you will live in disappointment, and you will have a crisis of faith. What I'm trying to do is set you up for the long haul. And that's why we need to hear this stuff today. That's why we need to hear these types of messages today because my life isn't contingent upon what God can do. That's a life based off of tradition. Now keep in mind, this mindset is an outside mindset while the other one, the younger child who doesn't have this, is inside. The mindset will keep us away from the Father because sooner or later, I will have a crisis of my tradition that was dependent on my entitlement And when I don't get what I want, I question the Father's motives. Because now I'm serving it for what God can give me. I'm questioning God, and now I wonder if God's even real. When I never took the time to let transformation in my weakness bring me empowerment to walk in what God has called me to walk in. Okay, now this is what we could term a trap of the older brother. It's why we can look at a quote-unquote sinner and recognize her need for Jesus immediately, but we fail to see the need of the prideful, self-righteous soul sitting in sometimes even the front seat of church week after week, year after year. Because we can see a person who's far from God in the natural, but it's hard to see a person who's far from God in the heart. I mean, how many of y'all have like three kids in here? At least three kids, raise your hand. You got three kids? Okay. If you have more than three kids, bless your heart. May the favor of God be upon you and your home for a thousand generations. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and mind. We're in this together. We got four kids. And I think as you have, it's usually like three. There's, there's, there's just the development stage of certain kids get different types of personalities And usually within three kids, there's usually one that is heavily rule-focused, that just wants to know, what do I want to do, God? What do you need me to do, Mom and Dad? Uh, How do I behave well? How do I I sit and follow the rules? And then usually there's another another child that teaches you how to pray. And they teach you how to pray, not for their future, but for yourself sometimes. God, help me so that I do not end this child's life before it ever has a chance to begin. God help me. They teach you how to pray. And the reason why is because they're always pushing these boundaries. Now, what's important, don't stifle that. Because as a parent, you're looking like, oh, that's a bad kid. Because they're not listening to mom and dad. And be careful if you're in that seat and you're looking at another parent, you're being like, man, they got bad kids. Rather than being like, man, God help them to raise them in the way they they should go. Because what I know about that kid that pushes all the boundaries will be one that the devil cannot stop. Because the moment they hit resistance, you're like, no, you know what? I'm going to push through that wall. So as a parent, 
Rather than labeling your kid, if you ever find yourself saying, man, this kid's all messed up. We just got to get him some help and get him on the right road. No, no, no. How can I wield that into a weapon? Right? How do I steer that? How do I help that child find that motivation and, and execute it in a godly way rather than speaking it over them being like, yeah, they just don't have it figured out. They just, man, they're just always testing me. And so if you're ever looking at a parent, why don't you pray for them instead? Right? Like they're looking at, they're trying, okay, God, help me not to stifle this fit person's future because they're going to need this one day. And if I apologize for this word, but not really, if I castrate their purpose by cutting apart their personality, I'm robbing them of what God, now they got to go through counseling to try to get back what God put in there to begin with that we took from them, right? So parents, God, help us. Help us, God. But what I found is that there's some kids that push the boundaries and some kids that live under them. And what's fine is that we look at the kid that's pushing the boundaries as if they're a bad kid and the one that's staying home as if, well, they're the good kid. Am I developing kids or am I developing adults? Because I can raise kids or I can teach them how to process their emotions properly because what we have is we got a bunch of adults in age but children in heart because we're taught how to be good kids but we're not really taught how to be a good adults. And as a parent, your goal is to develop a man or woman of God, not a kid that makes you look good. That's the goal. And you have a kid that pushes all these boundaries, and they're always, they're always trying to get away with certain things. And, and we look at that child and be like, wow, they really need the grace of God. And the one that stayed home as if, wow, they're really walking in the things of God. And this is the older brother syndrome. The older brother thinks that there is only one that needs to repent, but his heart is actually even further. Just be good. Repentance isn't necessary. Watch the right shows. Have the right friends. Do the right things. And this is the path to eternal life. But God will say, I never knew you. Right? So from the outside, many would say the older brother is the one that loves the father. The younger brother obviously left, spent everything, but the older brother stayed and took care of the father's field. He loves the father. But we find out that he doesn't. Why? Because he does not rejoice in what makes his father's heart glad. He's far from the father. Fair enough. You don't like your brother? Cool. Is his repentance real? Only time will tell. I don't know. Who are you to say that? But your father is here celebrating. And if you loved your father, you would get yourself to the party too. He says to the son, you've always been with me. You've always been with me. All these memories that they've had during the famine when the, the younger child was away. Think of those memories. And now we find that he's throwing those all out because he doesn't get a goat. In your time with Christ, do you ever envy the sinner? I think it's important for us to be reminded of the times we've had with the father. We've always been with him. Some of us have been with him for years, decades even, right? Take heart in those memories. Those are good memories. Cherish them. But then when we find ourselves saying, I want all this stuff from God, we do not realize that, don't you have God? Right? God is with you. And this is ultimately what matters most. Because last I checked, the death rate's 100%. And you're not taking anything with you. And right now, you have what really matters the most. There's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with, with, with motivation. There's nothing wrong with hustle. There's nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with trying to get everything that God has for me here on earth. But my relationship with God is not contingent on that. Right? See, none of us deserve what God has given us. And unless we acknowledge our propensity to have a self-righteous, legalistic behavior, 
turn away from that, come to Christ, get this, unless we acknowledge that and come to Christ, we will have no gospel to preach because we never responded to the gospel in the first place, which is the fact that none of us deserve God. 50 years, 50 seconds, none of us deserve God, but he died for us anyways and welcomes us to come to the dinner party in heaven. This is where we're at. So the saying is true. That is, I don't stand on, your good, on my good works. I stand on Christ. That on Christ, the solid rock I stand, everything else is seeking sand. No matter how good that ground looks, it's still sinking sand. And so the brother says, celebrate with my friends. I want to celebrate with my friends, Father. And he doesn't say, I want to celebrate with my Father. Right? So it's idea of these things of this world rather than eternal perspective. It's a worldly perspective. It's things right here and now. There's nothing wrong with having a good time and having a party. But in the end, the, what matters most is us celebrating with our Father in heaven, right? And get this, that nothing will kill our praise faster than a spirit of entitlement. It's a spirit of entitlement. So why do we see not a whole lot of praises around church today? And I think it's just this older spirit that's running rampant through the churches is why. Because if we took a moment to remember who we were without Christ, that we're not who we were because we're staying in Christ, and that's the key, that it wasn't about, it, it was about what I was being transformed from. If I took a moment just to remember who I am without Christ as an older brother or a younger brother, we all need Christ. And see, heart entitlement right here kills our heart of gratitude because then we think we deserve stuff. And a heart of gratitude is a precursor, and I would say, if not the precursor to praise. It's a heart of thankfulness, gratitude. I don't deserve any of this, God, and you chose to give it to me anyways. Are you doing well in your business? Thank God. Are you not doing well in your business? Thank God. Is your marriage going well? Thank God. If your marriage is not going well, God, help me. Right? I know I need Jesus. On my worst days, evident, but can I tell you, even on your best days, we see this older brother syndrome that does not have a heart devoted to the Father as the goal, but how good they have been. And this spirit can also say, I don't need people to tell people about Jesus. I just need to live good before them, and, and then they can learn how to live like me. And then the goal comes to reproduce someone who lives like you, not someone who knows how to get up like you because if you were really honest you're imperfect too and we go around this world we try to say hey if I can just be on my best behavior before the world then they will see my righteous deeds and they'll turn to the father now the bible is true it says let your light shine before all men the good deeds let your light shine before all men but God's the light not you right And then see this, our natural evangelism tactic is to say this, if I live good enough, it'll help them just to come up and ask me about Jesus. Because my witness is based off of my tradition, right? God, I've been good in front of them all the time. I never cuss, chew, drink, whatever. It's, I never do it in front of them. In front of them, right? So I'm a perfect witness. Matthew 23, 27 kind of gives an insight to this. Jesus' approach to this type of behavior. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, 
which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead bones of the dead and everything unclean. Jesus is saying the inside is what matters most, right? And it's easy for us to judge on the outside, but it's on the inside that matters. In the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So and this is the older brother's spirit that I want to confront today. It's pride. It's that idea that says I got it all figured out. Can't let anyone see me stumble. Can't let anyone see me fall because I'm perfect. It's all pride. That if I live good enough, that is how people will see Jesus in me. And I, can I tell you today, and this is what I'm confronting right now in the city. It starts in our hearts in the most gracious way. This is what we're confronting right here. That it's not if you live good enough that will draw people to Jesus. But what if it's when people see that you are also imperfect, imperfect and still need Jesus? What if your greatest witness wasn't that you were never disobeying God, but it was the fact that you do not always obey God? But he still comes out to you and talks to you and wants you to come to the party with him. Could it be that your weakness is actually your greatest witness? Because we tend to be like the Pharisees, though, like who were self-righteous people and felt the need to identify their righteous by appearance. Because get this, it's easier to do that than to cultivate righteousness through humility, love, compassion, and selflessness. And in trying to fix it in a way that is seen, but not in a way that produces real change. This is what produces change in your life. Grace. That even on my best days, I still need Jesus. And so here I am talking like your weakness could actually be your greatest witness. So one time I was working construction. We were down working on uh, uh, 11th. Uh, what is that Little Italy, that apartment's down there off Little Italy. What is it called? 11th and Pierce is where we were working at, right? Building these big old apartments. And I lost it one day, dude. I lost it. My temper flared up. And uh, I was cussing up a storm. I'm not talking like sailor cussing. I'm talking like, dude, this guy's got issues, right? And then about 10 minutes later, it takes me a little while to cool down. I just started working again. And I can either choose to keep beating myself. So now I got mad, and now I'm mad at myself for getting mad, right? And this friend uh, that I was talking to, he's, I'm still praying for him. He's going to come to know Jesus. And God's working on him. I'm praying God's working on him. I believe God's still working on him. He goes, dude, I thought you, like, believe in Jesus and all that stuff. What's up with this? In all honesty, like, in the loving way as a friend would say that. And I remember telling him, I was like, yeah, I do. Can I tell you, this is why I need Jesus. Right? Like, that's why I need Jesus. And in your life, your witness, your weakness can be a great witness. Because now I'm relating to people. But when we go off and we say I'm all perfect and I got this all figured out, right? Now I can't relate to people because deep down, we all know, unless you're carrying a heavy older brother syndrome spirit, we all know that we are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. And that is why we always need His grace. So what's more important, the traditions of man or the transformation that happens by the grace of God? It's easier to live by tradition than transformation. It's so easy to live a life about tradition because for some of us, 
we give more attention to our perception than about our transformation. Because tradition and perception can be controlled by me. But transformation and perfection cannot be. And if we can fake it till we make it, quote unquote, we're good, right? But in the end, not only do we live disappointed in our own because we're not getting what we want, but we mislead the world in what a true relationship with Christ looks like. Matthew 15, 1, Jesus talks about this idea of tradition. It says, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And he sums it up in verse 8, Matthew 15, verse 8. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This older brother honored the father, but his heart was far from him. And if we are going to be able to bring a true representation of what it looks like to follow Jesus in this city, we got to confront this spirit that is so easy to fall into. What I found is that usually the longer we follow Jesus, we start to have this tendency to become an older brother. And then we talk about, man, I When I started, Jesus helped me, he saved me, he rescued me, he redeemed me, and it's all about Jesus. But then the longer I walk with Jesus, I start to become less aware of his grace and more aware of my ability. So now I'm like, man, Jesus is good, yeah, but I've been like going to church and I've been doing all this stuff and reading the Bible, I'm doing all that stuff. And so now I'm like better off with God than I was when I first started following God. And then it starts to become this weird little thing that I see happen throughout church is after we've been walking with Jesus for a longer period of time, it says, man, I love Jesus, yeah, but let me give you 10 ways to change your life. And back in the day when it started, when you were in that miry pit, in that miry clay, he reached down and picked you up. It was all him. But now it amazes me how people can reduce God's grace and say it's all about these 10 ways. You do all these things. What is that? The 10 steps to your natural primal man. You can do all these things and you can walk in all that God has for you. And we we reduce walking with Jesus to a set of rules and principles and completely negate the very grace that it started with. Right, And what I'm calling us back to is no matter how close you are or think you are or how far away you are or think you are, we are all as close as his breath. And it doesn't matter how perfect you are living right now. What matters is, is your life submitted to the lordship and grace of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came. That's what the gospel is. It's not about your perfection. We're not saving people to a system. We're saving people. We're helping them find a Lord. And the best way I can do that is point them to Jesus and walk with them on the journey. That we were just talking, my wife and I were just talking to this person that came to church the first service. She said, that was such a great message. Thank you. She said, I left my, my other church because I was feeling that. And we didn't get into all that semantics. And my wife asked a brilliant question. She says, like left because of an older brother? Did you feel like you were the older brother or the younger brother? I felt like I was the younger brother. The older brother was expecting all these things from me. They didn't give room. Gotta be able to give room for people, right? But most importantly, this is what I want you to know today. Out of everything that I've spoken, all of it is important. But if we don't walk away knowing 
that of a heart of a child, which is how we're supposed to approach Christ, isn't about what the father can give the child, but just to be with the father. What good is it to look close to God, but our hearts are far from him? So no matter how good, we got all sorts of great people on stage and teams and worship and hosts and kids and lobby and guest experience and everything in between, vibe and all that, great, amazing people. And can I tell you that none of them are perfect? None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. Right? We just choose to be available. God, I know you like to use because it's all those little cracks that you like to shine the light through. I'm broken. But that's the point. He likes to use broken people. And I think of Revelation 22, the heart that we need to carry, says this, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. That means that the church, this is our language. Hey, come. Got it all together? Come on. Don't got it all together? Come on. And let the one who hears, so now we're the person that responds to it, also say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes Take the free gift of the water of life. And I tell you, the heart that we need to carry is that we are always with the Father. Not doing things for God, trying to get things from God. It's more about being with Him than it is about getting things from Him. Would you stand to your feet? now as a church, I want to be able to go into a time of, of worship, just a reflection on this message. But this is the stance that we're going to carry leaving here today, is that even on my best days, I still need Jesus. Even on your best day, this is something that will impact your life for eternity. You still need Jesus. Don't let that older brother sneak, sneak in and start to say, you deserve all of this. Look how good you've been doing. That's the devil. He's trying to come in and rob you of the very grace that God has given you. It was all him. It will always be him. He saved you. He redeemed you. He called you by name. You are his. So don't find your identity in what you do, but find your identity in who you are in him. This morning, would you lift your hands this morning? As we go to God and worship this morning, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. And we want to give a special thank you to those that give so generously to My City Church. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you would like to give today, please hit the link in the description or go to our website at mycitychurch.cc forward slash give. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it on all of your social media. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless.